Do I know you? I'm Colonel Jack O'Neill from General West's office. I'll be taking over from now on. This figure of 10,000 is ludicrous. I mean, the Egyptian culture didn't even exist. Yeah, we know. But the sonic and radiocarbon tests are conclusive. Well, these are cover stones. Was there a tomb underneath? No, 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 no. But we found something a lot more interesting. Excuse me. This information has become classified. From now on, no information has been passed on to non-military personnel without my express permission. Welcome to Smoking and Drinking in Space. This is a sci-fi podcast from a couple guys who think they know sci-fi. I'm Jason, and Red is on assignment in Antarctica as a chopper pilot ferrying scientists back and forth from a research facility. Last I heard, he found a stray dog from another research facility, but they haven't been able to get a hold of them on the radio yet. So let's all wish him luck. But this week, uh, we have from the podcast Bad Gamers Anonymous that I'm also on, we have Bad Gamer Crowley, or Crowley, if uh, he wants to be called by that, or James, if he wants to be called by that. How do you, how would you like to be addressed? Wow, I have options. Normally you, you people have just options. call me whatever. <laughs> I, it doesn't matter. You call me Crowley, call me James. Just don't call me late for dinner. Sounds great. Okay. Um, we appreciate you coming on. Would you like to uh, tell us a little bit more about Bad Gamers Anonymous? Yeah, absolutely. Bad Gamers Anonymous is a podcast about bad gaming. <laughs> we we want to help gamers get better. Uh, we have a two-step program. It's uh, sack up and get good. Doesn't seem to be working for me, though. Uh, <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> we just give our generally bad opinions on all things gaming. We talk about gaming culture, gaming journalism, uh, games. We give reviews. Uh, we talk about the news every week. So, yeah, we have a lot of things going on over there. I also have another podcast called Sim Simply Stogies, where I talk about uh, cigars, and it's a lot different than Bad Gamers Anonymous. So uh, you can head over to EarGlueMedia.com, uh, check out both of those, and I would greatly appreciate it. Yes, absolutely. They're both great shows. Um, I love Simply Stogies. Uh, he's got his first inaugural episode out, and I, I definitely suggest, um, even if you're not a cigar smoker, checking that out, because he does give... A lot of great information on, uh, you know, just cigar smoking in general. And, and it's basically, it's, it's your journey as you go through, because you're a, you're, you haven't been smoking cigars very long, right? No, I think I started in June of uh, last year. So it's been, what, eight months now? So. Right. But it seems like you've become a quick study because uh, you've, you've taught me <laughs> some stuff that I had no idea about. So, Well, quick study and my collection grew from five to... Well over 300 in eight months. So. Yeah. yeah, that's massive. Whoops. But this week, um, we are reviewing the movie that Crowley picked out. Would you like to tell us what that is? Uh, yeah, it's Stargate, the uh, classic movie with James Spader and uh, Kurt Russell. The movie that put Egypt on another planet's map. Yes, 1994 Stargate. Aliens before the History Channel made it cool. I know. <laughs> yeah, whenever uh whenever they first revealed that uh the uh the the main character was actually uh, an alien that 
snatched his body. That's that's the first thing I thought of was that that History Channel meme with the guy with the the crazy hair. So I think that's where he got all these theories is Stargate. It might be. That's probably around the same time. So on this show, before we actually get into the meat and potatoes of everything, we actually uh, do a little bit of news. Do you have any news this week? No, I didn't know there was homework. (laughs) Nobody told me. That's fine. That's fine. I've got a couple of news items this week. Um, The first is the there's a movie coming out. There's a trailer out for it um, where a time traveler is basic. Well, he's not even really a time traveler. So something happens. This guy has an accident. There's a blackout at the same time. And suddenly he is the only person alive who knows about the Beatles. He happens to be a musician and can play all the Beatles songs. So this movie kind of explores what happens if you're the only person that knew about the Beatles because they never existed and know pretty much their entire library, can you make it big just like the Beatles did? Uh, the film is called Yesterday. Uh, there's a trailer out for it, and it's it looks a lot like a rom-com. So it's it's got some sci-fi elements to it, but it's, it's mostly about a rom-com. Um, kind of... Uh, Kind of a dickish move to steal the Beatles catalogs like that, don't you think? <laughs> a little, uh, a, a little bit, but I won't say that I haven't thought about that. Uh, <laughs> being a musician, I've always thought, what if I woke up one day and I knew all of the Metallica songs and Metallica never existed? I would be rich beyond my wildest dreams. Oh yeah, I'm sure you would. You'd have to, you'd have to grow out your your hair, and you'd have to. You'd have to only fight for Napster, a little bit. But you can, yeah, but you can sell out and cut it, and then you know sue Napster and become I, giant douchebags. I love what Metallica said when everybody said they sold out um, because they cut their hair. They said, "Yeah, we sell out stadiums every night, and we cut our hair because have you seen the country music singers nowadays?" That's a fair point. That is an absolutely fair point. I never thought that they sold out when they cut their hair. I always, I, I took offense to that because at the time, as a young man uh, trying to make it in the corporate world, like there's a certain look that you have to go. It's just a societal norm. So I never thought it was selling out. But uh, so I always got a little offended when people said that because I certainly cut my hair as soon as I realized how the world worked. Right, right. Yeah, and I'm, I've had various lengths of hair throughout my my career, and fortunately, I'm in a an industry where sometimes I can wear long hair, and it's it's not really looked at. But I I have recently cut my hair; it was getting longish, and uh, but I got a new gig, and so I went ahead and cut my hair because of some of the places that I'll be. Um, probably not the greatest look to have have long hair where I'm going to be. So sell out. I, I am. I'm a sellout. I like those dollars. <laughs> Give me all your Ameros. Uh, the last new do- news item, <laughs> let me try and say that again. My last news item this week uh, is there is an AI website out there, or there's a website that has AI that basically generates pictures of people who don't actually exist. So they've trained this AI with a, a bunch of peop- a bunch of pictures of various real people, uh, 
And now the AI generates photos based off of that training that I swear looks like actual real people. And I saw this. It does look like real people. It is so freaky. And we'll, we'll have a link on the show notes uh, if you want to check this out. But the website is thispersondoesnotexist.com. And every t- it's the simplest website. It's just a picture on the website. Every time you hit the refresh button, it generates a new picture, and it looks like these people actually exist. But this is supposedly totally 100% AI generated. So one step closer to our robot overlords uh, taking over the Earth, because <laughs> now if they can replicate picture, and it's, it's not even, you can't tell. There's no uncanny valley at all on this. It's just people in various smiles look, I mean, it's, it's amazingly crazy the way that it generates this and how realistic it looks. Well, it's interesting that you, you bring that up because Elon Musk uh, recently has said that he has uh, an AI program. It's a text generation system uh, that's backed uh, uh, open AI. And he said it's too dangerous to release. So I take anything and everything that Elon Musk says with a humongous grain of salt because, oh, wow, there's a generated picture that even has like uh, different eye colors, like a polychromatic eye color. That's that's freakily awesome. Well, but, I think his, the crux of his argument was that it could be used to disseminate false information and fake news. I mean, if you put these two things together where you've got one AI that can create people out of thin air and they look absolutely 100% real. And you've got an AI that can generate plausible fake news. Like, I think you've got a, a Skynet oh. is certainly about ready to become sentient. Yeah, absolutely. Now, whether Elon Musk has that or not is what I'm taking with a huge grain of salt. Because um, he's kind of... he's. Uh, well, he's not McAfee. Well, no, he's <laughs> McAfee was a super <laughs> conspiracy theorist, but Elon Musk is is up there. I mean, some of the some of the things that he's kind of trying to fearmonger is a little outlandish. I think uh, I think we're I think we're way far away from some of the theories that he came up with, especially the one where he's saying that uh, we're all just part of a, a giant simulation and. He alone is the only one that's smart enough to figure it out. So we're all in the matrix. Right, right. So um I'm I'm not really sure that he's got what he says he's got. So red pill or blue pill. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss. Sometimes. Um so before we head into the pod crawl, I've got some really exciting news, and it's really fortunate that you are here this week because this this news actually involves you and uh, the Earglue Media Network. So by the time you hear this episode, Smoking and Drinking in Space is going to be a member of the Earglue Media Network. The Earglue Media Network has a lot of exciting shows on it. Um, the Cantina cast, The Basement. Bad Gamers Anonymous that we mentioned before, uh, Manny Faces and the Masters of the Universe, and Simply Stogies, uh, which we also mentioned before. Uh, we're 
super excited and very honored to join this network and uh, to live alongside these great shows. I, I listen to them all, and uh, they're all part of my rotation. So I encourage you to go out to earglumedia.com and uh, check out those shows. Um, here at Smoking and Drinking in Space, we uh, want to thank everybody on the network for all their help and support over the uh, last few months as we've been getting prepped for this. Uh, Mike, which is the uh, CEO and, and ruler of all of Earglue Media. <laughs> um, Jonesy, who's uh, helped me out tremendously in, in getting a lot of this uh, set up and is uh, a great uh Great pillar of support. Crowley, of course, um, for actually introducing me to everybody and, and bringing me on board on uh, Bad Gamers Anonymous. Uh, Albert, uh, he's the host of the Cantina cast and uh, The Basement. He's uh, been extremely helpful, um, and he does a lot of the uh, graphics for the, the network, and he's very, very talented. Uh, Josh, appreciate all your help, and uh, I guess even Joe has helped a little bit. Um, so I guess I should go ahead and thank him a little bit too. Um, maybe he's uh, he gave me a picture, so I guess that helps. Is it shirtless and does he have a tie on? Yes, yes. Well, that's not really helpful. We're we're all uh, at Ear Glue Media. We're all very excited to bring you guys on board to have you uh, part of the uh, family of podcasts that we've got going on over Ear Glue Media. Dot com. Uh, it just it made sense. You guys put out a great podcast. You and Red, we, we love it. You guys Thank sound you. great. Your audio quality is great. And, you know, we're all about thought provoking uh, podcasts and listening to some of your back catalog. I, I've got to say there were there were several moments where I, I was provoked to thinking and I don't typically like that. But being a <laughs> sci fi uh, dork, nerd, geek, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I, I enjoy listening to you and Red uh, every week. You guys are great. And so it just made sense to bring you on board with shows like the Cantina cast, uh, the basement and the many faces of Masters of the Universe. So welcome to Ear Glue Media and may God have mercy on your soul. Well, thank you. And we appreciate you rolling the dice and uh, taking the chance that we'd drag you down to our level. So, um, but no, we seriously. were well on our way. <laughs> In all seriousness, no, um, we're we're very excited to be with you guys and uh, very honored. Uh, we appreciate it a lot. So great, we're we're very excited to have you on board and, and thankful that you said yes. It was kind of like, you know, the, when you ask your wife to marry you. Oh, <laughs> she gonna say yes? She gonna say no? We weren't sure. So we're we're very, we're excited uh, to have you guys on board. You guys are a perfect fit. Appreciate it. Well, uh, are you? Familiar with our pod crawl? You said you've listened to the show, so you know what the pod crawl is all about, right? I love your pod crawl. Oh, well, thanks. We actually we brought it back because people said they loved our pod crawl. So, well, you ready for the crawl? Let's do it. Let's do it. We can call it, I don't know, say a pod crawl? The pod crawl! Pod crawl! Pod crawl! Pod crawl! Excellent! Insert it deep! Pod crawl! Kind of like a space suppository full of information. In a sandals resort in North Africa 10,000 years ago, an alien pyramid lands and prepares the guests for group activities for the next few thousand years. Fast forward to the 1920s where archaeologist Dr. Langford, who found love, or at least Nookie, late in life, takes his daughter on a tour of a forced labor camp that has found the remains of the wedding band of the Colossus of Rhodes. 
The daughter, Catherine, in a desperate attempt to remain relevant to the plot, spends her entire life trying to translate the inscription on the wedding band. In a last, desperate attempt, she seeks the services of Egyptologist and homeless person Dr. Daniel Jackson. Having nowhere better to be, Jackson accepts the invitation and travels to an implausible converted nuclear missile silo that looks remarkably like the set depicting NORAD from War Games. Jackson immediately throws shade on the current Egyptologist by retranslating his translation. Jackson is introduced to Major Guile, now a colonel, who declares the project <laughs> classified, because for some reason it wasn't classified before. Jackson, having a caffeine-fueled epiphany, declares the glyphs are constellations and they act as coordinates, which isn't really how constellations work, but let's go with it for now. Jackson is introduced to the giant ring, which turns out to be an oversized master lock. He is told they have the first six of the combination, and have been spending two years trying to get the seventh. With the seventh known, they punch in the coordinates and send a poor robot into the vertical hot tub to its doom. Having successfully sent a robot somewhere, ten minutes later the time for human trials is at hand. A crack squad of Air Force lieutenants in enlisted men's clothing along with Colonel Guile and Jackson head into the portal to find themselves stranded on planet Egypt. Jackson, oblivious to every situation, takes an exploratory trip and feeds the local fauna a Fifth Avenue bar. After being dragged through the desert from the back of a freaky horse with no name they discover a technologically primitive civilization who are slaving away in an ore mine. Through Fifth Avenue bar and shotgun diplomacy, Jackson has a spa day, gets hitched and discovers the town's library. A few vowel pronunciation lessons later, he's fluent. Meanwhile, back at the Portal Pyramid, the large pyramid ship from 10,000 years ago stops by Planet Egypt for a pit stop and the squad left to guard the portal are captured by staff-wielding beefcakes. Guile and Jackson say their goodbyes and head back to the portal when communications cease and they find the perched pyramid ship. Guile succeeds in getting himself captured, Jackson gets himself dead and everyone is now aboard the SS Pyramid. Enter Ra, who is basically Ra's Al Ghul before puberty, who puts Jackson in a regeneration chamber and taunts Guile before sending him to the below-ground pool. Jackson, who is dead, gets better and we learn that the original group on Earth revolted, so they set up Planet Egypt as a slave colony and forbid writing. Jackson has to go back to the colony and kill the rest of the surviving party in front of them to show that he's complicit and to show that Ra is still insecure. However, the colony has their own plans, and signals to Jackson they are ready to fight. Jackson, the ungrateful recipient of a second chance at life that he has, betrays his benefactor and through a series of gun and staff firefights as well as Jackson's new bride dying and regenerating, they push Ra and his surprisingly small guard back to the ship. Ra cuts bait and heads back to space, but surprised, they teleport a nuclear bomb onto the ship and it explodes above the planet in a flash of blue light. Jackson decides to stay on planet Egypt with his new bride, Guile finds the joy in life again and roll Einstein Rosen bridge credits. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it. So <laughs> this movie, uh, this movie has some entertaining moments. It's got some real issues, though. What did, what did you think? I mean, you've you've already kind of expressed your joy and love for the movie. Um, I do enjoy this movie. Yes. I didn't know death was something you could just get better from. That pod crawl is just informative. I love it. It is. It, it really is. So, yeah, I guess if you have a regeneration chamber, it helps. Yeah, well, I think we need to install one in the podcasting studios. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, you're not wrong. This movie has a lot of problems, but I'm trying to think of one sci-fi movie where you can just not, where you don't, if you don't turn your brain off, there's not plot holes. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely so, right. Sometimes, I mean, with most sci-fi, you, you really have to kind of, you know, suspend disbelief. But 
this is asking a lot in in certain places. Um, and it's I know, not, but Kurt Russell, Kurt, Kurt Russell, Russell, yes, Kurt Russell is great. No, I agree. James Spader is great, even when he kind of phones it in, like on this movie. <laughs> oh, I don't think he phoned it in. I thought he was great in this movie. He was great, but that's what I'm saying is. He, he, he is not as great in this movie as he has been in others. This was a this was a That's movie fair. that he didn't even want to do. He just kind of did it because he did money or he needed money. Is this is this the alimony movie? This is, is that... probably one of one of the alimony okay. movies for him. Yeah. Okay. But no, I, I don't. I don't know if that's I, maybe. I guess maybe I, this was a huge. This was a huge movie in '94. It was, but it wasn't expected to be a huge movie in 94. It was actually expected to kind of flop, and it, it actually did a hell of a lot better than, than what, uh, the, what they were predicting. So it, it made like 160-ish million on a 55 million budget. It may be a little bit higher. Um, so it definitely made its money back. But yeah, everybody was expecting this to, to flop. Uh, some of the early screenings that they did, they got like a 30% approval rating. Um, they went back and kind of restructured some of the dialogue and some of the story, and it actually turned out that they, they did the right thing. So it was $196 million that they made at the box office. So it, it so, was a financial success by man. all measures. But Well, today they wouldn't have been able to make that movie for anything less than... 250 million. Oh yeah, easily. I mean, just just salaries alone for a lot of the people that they've gotten in here. I mean, Kurt Russell is probably half of that or a third of that. <laughs> James Spader's the other half. Yeah. So at this point I think we could get French Stewart though. Probably pretty cheap. <laughs> yeah, probably. This was his first film. So I thought you don't like you don't seem to like French Stewart. I don't mind French Stewart. I like I liked his character in Third Rock from the Sun, yeah. but uh, yeah, he's he's the same <laughs> character in every movie. He's just, he's this char- He's the character from Third Rock from the Sun. He's, he's he French is in Stewart. Stargate. Yeah, he's French exactly. <laughs> he plays French Stewart. His range is very limited to French and Stewart. But no, um, so some of the things that that kind of niggled me a little bit was um, the, the plot is okay. It's a little thin at, at, at times, but you know, we can, we can look past that. This is, this is a sci-fi action movie, which, you know, most sci-fi action movies don't have a, a really comprehensive plot to begin with. I mean, we've, <laughs> we've done demolition man and that plot is pretty much non-existent. So Sandy Bullock. Yes. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna knock this on the on the plot for for being an action flick, but man, there are a ton of historical inaccuracies in here. So, <laughs> well, what, was this was this touted as a historically accurate movie? Well, they had an Egyptologist on staff, so the fact that they've hired somebody to make this as historically accurate as possible, and they still have these glaring historical inaccuracies. <laughs> Is, is kind of disappointing. I mean, hieroglyphs didn't come about. The hieroglyphs that they were showing didn't come about until like 3200 BC. So if... Artistic license. Yes. And you could say that some of this is artistic license, like the Eye of uh, Horus that they kept calling the Eye of Ra. So that symbol, 
is the Eye of Horus. The Eye of Ra is an entirely different symbol. It's a big red disc with cobras sitting around it. The Eye of Horus is what they kept showing. They kept calling it the Eye of Ra. I will give them artistic license on that. But, you know, them using, you know, hieroglyphs from 32,000 BC or 3200 BC, whenever, you know, they supposedly uh, enslaved these people around 10,000 BC. And let's say that they had them enslaved for a couple thousand years. So you're looking at 8,000 BC, which is still 5,000 years before. Uh, the Egyptians actually came up with their hieroglyphic system. Not only that, but apparently they knew about constellations and recorded, you know, constellations 8,000 years, 7,000 years before anybody else. Well, but don't the, the, the pyramids at Giza, don't they, don't they mimic or, or mirror Orion, the constellation Orion? Well, yeah, but the pyramids at Giza were built around 3200 BC. But okay, all right, <laughs> just just let's stick with me here. Let's just pretend, all right, that Doctor Jackson <laughs> is turning all of this on its head. Isn't that what he did in the plot? He turned everything on. It says like, no, you guys are all wrong. Like my calculations and my 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 evidence show this. Like all of your dates are wrong. That's a that's a great point, and that's that's something I did kind of not not consider. Yeah, you're right. At the beginning in the lecture, which I think they kind of cut for time on that lecture because the lecture and some of the director's cuts were was a little longer. He did start saying that yeah, the the timelines are are all incorrect. So that's a great point. Yeah. I just wanted to say Dr. Jackson. I know, and I'm so glad you did. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, that is a, uh, that's a running joke on, uh, on Bad Gamers Anonymous. I love the way he says Gita Jackson, which uh, Gita Jackson. we dunk on a lot over at Bad Gamers Anonymous. So, so check yes. that out if, uh, if you want to get some of the more, some more of the backstory on the, uh, on the Gita Jackson pronunciation. It, but it might also be just as thin as the plot of this movie. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I, I just, I picture that Dr. Jackson's character, like it should have been based on the guy from the history channel with the hair that just says aliens. Right. And I think, or maybe it's vice versa. Maybe he based his character on Dr. Jackson from Stargate. Yeah, I mean, I, I can totally see if if that guy from the History Channel had actually existed whenever they made this movie, that they would have modeled Doctor Jackson after that guy. That, reboot, yeah. Well, reboot, yeah. I would love to see a reboot of this movie. I think I think what they could do if they tightened up the plot and with current uh, computer graphics nowadays, and bring in some some really heavy hitting writers and a director. I think they could do wonders with this movie. Of course, they what, had. What if they? What instead of a reboot though? What if they went to find Doctor Jackson? <laughs> well, so I'm not super versed in any of the series. So they had like three television series that were spun off of this. They had Stargate SG One, Stargate Atlantis, and Stargate Universe. And I'm not well versed with any of those. So I figured that they would have at least explored what happened with Dr. Jackson in one of those series. Do you have any familiarity with any of that? 
no, I, I, I had a life when, mm-hmm. when those shows were popular. Yeah, me too. And I just, ha- I haven't decided to go back and watch them. I just don't, it's not that I don't care. It's that I don't care. <laughs> well, I've seen some episodes of SG one and I was really compelled to kind of watch it whenever uh, Michael Dean Anderson without the mullet. I was wondering if his actor acting abilities had kind of suffered because of the uh, loss of the power mullet, but apparently they haven't because he was on there for a long time. (laughs) Well, uh, did he MacGyver stuff? Like if he's got to like MacGyver things to get out of situations on Stargate, then I would probably watch that show. Well, I don't know if he MacGyvered anything. I think maybe all of his MacGyver knowledge and skill came from the mullet. And whenever he got rid of that, he had to, like, really act or I don't know. And it's not even worth watching. No. <laughs> if he's not using duct tape and bubble gum to activate a Stargate out of danger, then I don't care. Uh, um, another character that I wasn't super fond of is the raw character. I thought he was pretty one-dimensional as a bad guy. And it wasn't it wasn't even really the raw character. It was well, I mean so it was invasion of the body snatchers is what it was. It was this alien who came down and stole somebody because he had a body that was easier to repair than his and had this regeneration chamber and I mean the guy looks good for 10,000 years old. Oh yeah, for sure. But his voice, man. His voice like this is what I just kept thinking. So I wanted to find out what happened to this actor, because I remember when this movie released, it was kind of a big deal because he was the the, the new guy on the block, mm-hmm. the acting scene, because he got big from that movie, The Crying Game. Right. And so where he played, uh, 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 was it a transgender? Yep. And and so I wanted to find out what happened to him and he quit acting. Yeah. And he went into modeling and all kinds of other stuff. So he's still doing stuff, but. Just nothing on the acting gig. But he he's he's openly homosexual. And I feel like his big thing he said when he was acting was in this movie is, you know, they wanted someone that was more effeminate. But then they made his voice extremely monstrous. They didn't let him use his own voice. It was obvious he was speaking the lines, but they dubbed over him, over his voice. Like this monster, manly demon voice. And it just, it was so cartoonishly opposite of what you, what was being portrayed on screen. I couldn't, like, I remember first when I first watched it, that didn't strike me. But I guess now, you know, 20, 30 years later, like it's, it, it, it kind of hits you. And you're like, why, why did they do this? What was, what was the reason behind it? And I feel like it was probably motivated by all of the wrong reasons. Yeah, I think the I think one of the reasons they did that was the same reason that they made his eyes glow on occasion um, was to show that he wasn't human, that he was actually being possessed by basically an alien gray is what this was. Um, you know, you, holy <laughs> cow! You just went full history channel. I did. On us. I did. <laughs> See how that comes back around? Yeah, this is basically the Greys came down and and body snatched this guy, and they're 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 trying to show that he's not human like everybody else; that he's actually possessed by this alien Grey. So I well, think wouldn't it have made more sense then? Wouldn't it have been more impactful if he's speaking normally? 
all the time, but when he gets upset, when things aren't going his way, when Dr. Jackson <laughs> revives his dead wife, I don't even understand that, his dead wife from the sarcophagus, and he sees him and those eyes start to glow, that's when that voice should come out. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, right. I think Roland Emmerich uh, really kind of dropped the ball on this by hammering this this voice and uh, down our throats. So yeah. I think uh, I think it lost a lot of the impact, and it really kind of drove home the, the fact that this character wasn't really well fleshed out. I mean, he was he had one dimension. He was just a giant dick, and. <laughs> That's that's, yeah, that's all. I, that's all it is. I mean, yeah. we don't know what the hell his motivation is for enslaving all these people and getting all this ore. Um, well, wasn't it to keep himself alive? Well, but was it because he needed that ore to run the sarcophagus that kept him alive? I mean, they don't ever really explain it, right. other than it's the like the I he had some kind of at the beginning of the movie he had some kind of tricorder. That was telling him what it was. Did you, like, did you catch that? Uh-huh. He puts it down next to the rocks and it, you know, talks back to him. Yeah. I'm like, what is this? Is this Star Trek or Stargate? Yeah. I don't remember this technology in 1994. Exactly. Yeah. And so he's saying that the, this entire ship and the sarcophagus uh, run on this this mineral, this ore. And so that's why he's having these people do it so that he can live forever and ever in the uh, blissful uh, visage of youth. Well, what happened before? I mean, the the we see him ten thousand years ago, come down upon these these people in North Africa and enslave them. What did he do for them before? Yeah, the Sandals Resort in North Africa. Well, he was dying. Didn't they explain that he was he was the last of his race? His race had all died out. He was the last of it, and he wanted to preserve his knowledge uh, and, and his race. And the only way to do that was to find uh, a suitable host, and then the technology to keep himself alive. When did they explain that? At the very beginning or no, it was when, when they were teaching Dr. Jackson vowels so that he could talk because that's all it takes. Somebody (laughs) teach me the vowels to Swahili so that I can speak Swahili. Anyone? Uh, Yeah. I think it's a lot of the same vowels that we use just in different ways. So yeah, I don't think that's how this works. Yeah. It's not how any of this works. (laughs) No, I if if they explained it to that kind of detail, I missed it. I mean, I I knew that they had come down and enslaved the people, and that they used the the ore for some sort of energy use. I didn't know that he used it for you know his regeneration chamber. I know that he possessed that original human because the human bodies are easier to regenerate, and that he was at the end of his life at the beginning. But it doesn't. It still doesn't tell me what they did for fuel before. I mean, did they? Have a well, planet was, that blew up? Did they have a? Well, they didn't really colony? explain. Yeah, I, I, maybe this ore is plentiful uh, around the universe, except on Earth, maybe. But then, why was he ex- enslaving everyone on Earth? Right. Yeah. Other than he want, uh, maybe they did explain that. Maybe they said he, that he wanted to teach them that he saw himself as some sort of, you know, benevolent benefactor of the human race and he was going to usher them into but then he just turned himself into a god and turned into a giant dick uh, <laughs> you know what I, at this point I don't think it matters he's a giant dick and an alien and it sucked yeah. for every which is why they this is the other thing I don't under oh man this is so we're going back to the plot and I apologize but I don't understand why it took literally 
just hundreds, maybe, maybe, a, maybe a thousand years for the humans to revolt against this alien. But it took the humans that he took with him to planet Egypt uh, millennia to revolt against him. Right. Like, where did he get the beefcakes? So in the giant masks. I don't like none of this makes sense. So to me. I kind of headcanon that as all those kids that he had, which was creepy in and of itself. Um, yeah. All the kids that he had in his retinue, I think he groomed them into becoming his royal guard later in life. That's that's how that, I kind of that saw that. Um, he didn't have a large contingent. Um, we only see what three, maybe four guards on that ship, and then what eight to ten of those kids that surround him. So it was it was a very select few people that he allowed to you know explore the galaxy on his ship. And I love the ship the way that all the all the windows opened up and gave great light. It really opened up the room. It was great. Um, Makes for great space travel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Just roll the windows down when it gets a little warm. <laughs> but um, I totally lost where I was going to go with that train of thought. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, just the kids. He had the kids. Yeah, he had the kids. Small I small group. I think they grew up to be, be his royal guards, and then he probably picked other kids later on um, and just kept replenishing them like that. And that character just keeps getting creepier and creepier. Yeah, yeah, he really does. Um, going back, James Spader played basically Dr. Magoo, um, who was absolutely oblivious to everything except for at the end. And you did mention, <laughs> yeah, you did mention that it took them a while to revolt on planet Egypt. Um, cause they never gave that planet a name in the, in the movie. And that, that really irked me as well. Well, reading and writing were prohibited. So I would imagine knowledge of where they were, where they came from, who they really are. Well, but like, they were prohibited, but then she was kind of translating some of those hieroglyphs. Um, when he well, was rebels, she was a rebel. Well, as were all the kids, like all the old people had just accepted their fate, but the kids are like, no way, man, free love. We're going to, they're, they're the hippies of the group. They're revolting against the societal norm of. Yeah, but then who of, taught them how to read and write? Who taught Dr. Jackson to freaking speak fluently <laughs> in 10 minutes? <laughs> I don't understand. I well, need so a hot chick think, to come teach me vowels so that I can speak her language. That's what I need. Well, so I think the the whole crux of that was, is they were speaking a dialect of ancient Egyptian that hadn't been spoken on earth in like a thousand years. So he knew the language. He just didn't know how it sounded. He was pronouncing the vowels wrong. And so when he would point to a hieroglyph that he understood and would say what he thought it sounded like, and then she would correct his pronunciation, he understood some of the the uh, vowels, the vowel sounds that he was supposed to be saying as opposed to what he had been saying. So that I can kind of see as plausible. But what I want to know is if they can't read or write, who taught her how to read and write? Her, her hippie parents? I don't, I don't know. Like that just, all of this doesn't hold a lot of water with me. Right. If he's a linguist. 
Yeah, if he's a legalist, right? you would think that when he started hearing them talk, he would go, well, that sounds somewhat familiar. Maybe if I, you know, kind of match it up to what I think, you know, they're trying to say, and, and then a, I could kind of bridge that gap. So, And there's a huge difference between reading and writing a language sure. and speaking it fluently, which he suddenly picked up a dead language, literally a dead language in 10 minutes. Right. Like fluently. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it, it's, it's thin. <laughs> the plot is thin. I'm, I'm, but I suppose, you know, if she's hot enough, I'd learn a language in 10 minutes too, I guess. I don't know. That's the only thing I can rationalize is he was just so enamored with this, with this space woman that he was doing everything he could to learn the language as quickly as possible. I, I don't know. No, I, I, yeah, I agree. I do like the look of this movie. I thought they did a really good job uh, with a lot of the set design. Like I said, uh, the the ship opened up, um, let in all that natural light, really lit the place up. But I think all the rest of the set design was really well done too. What'd you think? Yeah, no, I thought it was even the missile silo that was repurposed. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> now, as in, in all implausible as a mountain is for a missile silo, yeah. Right. No, I thought it all looked really well. I, I, it was really well done. All the set pieces. Like I said, I think you and I were talking before we started recording, and this film holds up visually very well. The The graphics, the CGI certainly look um, dated for sure, especially uh, like when you're like walking through the, the, the hot tub. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look bad, but when you start just putting piece by piece – like your hand in, like Dr. Jackson did, like you start seeing that it doesn't really look yeah. as good as it once now, did. Now, the graphics that they did, that that water kind of graphic that they did for the actual Stargate, I thought still looked really good today. I thought that was oh, remarkable. Oh, for sure. Uh, it reminded me of the time, uh, uh, like the Abyss. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, or, or Terminator 2. Those kind of, and it was, that was kind of like the hot thing in movies is that that watery type of effect. But yeah, I thought, I think all the sets look really well done. I mean, it's Egypt, throw some sand and put some pyramids somewhere. (laughs) Right. I mean, and, and you're good to go. But, uh, I think that I find it hard to believe that a society that had been there for millennia were still as, as backwards as they were. Yeah, as but they, as primitive but, techno- technologically as they were, yeah. Yeah. And I yeah, I get the whole reading and writing thing. So I I still feel like necessity is the mother of invention. Is that is that the saying? Yeah. Uh where they would have found better ways to mine, more efficient ways to mine other than what they were doing. Cuz it seemed like it was still pretty backwards, very primitive and very so I feel like that would have would have evolved a little bit, but I mean, it all looked really good. Even uh, the military aspect of it, for the time, looked very very good. The computers are very obviously dated, uh, <laughs> right? As well as as well as the graphics on the computers. Yeah. Uh, but but it all I think set wise, look wise, the movie holds up. It stands the test of time. You can look at it and go. I remember floppy disks. So, yeah, it all works. So, 
yeah, I mean, but even the aliens didn't have the concept of the wheel, apparently. They kept carrying <laughs> everything across the, the ship on a litter. I have no idea why they couldn't have found a cart someplace. I mean, they're they're an advanced alien race. They've got spaceships, but they don't know what the hell of a what the hell a wheel is. So you don't you don't see a wheel anywhere, not on the colony. Wheels are useless in space. Yeah. Well, they're not useless on the ship, though. I mean, if I'm carrying, you know, a couple hundred pounds of nuclear uh, bomb around, I don't want a couple of beefcakes to carry that thing on a cot. I want to put that on a cart yeah. and send one of my, you know, ponytailed servants to push that thing around. Yeah, those beefcakes weren't the smartest, were they? So, yeah, probably not. I probably wouldn't want them. And carrying that. Yeah, no, you're right. But I mean, isn't there, isn't it at least, I mean, how many times on Star Trek did you see a wheel? Well, but they had anti-grav lifts, so. Well, what about that lift, that that transporter device that they've got on here? Well, but they had one. That was like their central elevator. Well, you just saw the one. That doesn't mean they didn't have more or some kind of smaller version of that device. Maybe. But then why didn't they I use that all the time? Uh, because the budget for this film is $55 million. <laughs> uh, see, there you go, and being all practical. Sorry. And what happened to the robot? Dude, okay, look. <laughs> Where did the robot go? So, so this so this week, the, the one robot on Mars died, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it was very sad. Like, people were legitimately sad about this robot on a different planet dying. In 1994, nobody gave two drops of monkey piss about the <laughs> robot that they sent through this through this hot tub trillions of light years away to another galaxy. Like nobody cares. Yeah. But if that movie were remade today, there would be a freaking service and a he would be eulogized and celebrated as a hero. Yeah. Because robot lives matter. Because he nobody knows where he went. He was not there whenever they went through the Stargate. Yeah, he was. I you saw him there in the background when they walked through the first time. Now, after that, I don't know what they did with it. It was magically gone. I did not but see the, it, and I looked for it. I'm telling you, I saw it. I saw it. You should go back and watch when they first come through. You see it there on the side. And what pulled it through? That's what I remember. It like stuck its arm through first to get a look right. at what was on the other side, and then all of a sudden it got pulled through. Was it just the, was it just the rainbow bridge to... to Thor land that Asgard that that pulled it through is that all it was? Yeah, and and that kind of asks the question: Does the does the Rosen Bridge not activate until the entire body goes through? So what did he see whenever he put his um, put that camera in? Was he seeing like he couldn't have been seeing the other side, right? Because I mean, it takes right. a little bit of time to to travel through that that wormhole. But isn't that what he saw? Like he took a picture of that with his arm and then got sucked through. Yeah, I don't know. So because how are they getting that signal? Yeah, right. Like if he's in another galaxy, how are they getting that signal so quickly? Right. So I mean, yeah, I don't know. would the yeah would that bridge allow for some kind of you know radio signal to actually come back through and or go piece by piece? Like Doctor Jackson puts his hand through, right, and then he puts his face through. Like if it doesn't. Like, if you're not going through that pretty quick, like, part of you's going and part of you's not, and it's going to just leave a mess. Yeah. Yeah. So do you come through with your face all stretched out in front of you? Or, I mean, how does that work? 
Yeah. Does I, the does I, the bridge not I, activate until your entire mass goes through? Or yeah, that's one well, of those. How questions. does it know what your mass is? I don't know. Maybe you have to weigh before before you go through. <laughs> <laughs> So, seems like a lot of that seems like a lot of monkey business for space travel. It really does. No, we need you to weigh. We need you to weigh first for no. Sorry, it's not going to be able to get all your master at once. Sorry, fatty. Stop eating the Snickers. Put put put. The, what was it? A Fifth Avenue. Fifth Avenue. They even make that. They even make that candy bar anymore. Yeah, put the Fifth do. Avenue down, fatty. You can't go through. I think I've only had that candy bar like once or twice. I don't even remember I what it tastes like. I, I don't know, but apparently the one dude liked it a lot. Yeah, as did the horse with no name. Yeah. Yeah, that freaky, freaky horse. It looks something kind of like from a Jim Henson workshop. That was weird. You know what? Speaking of sets, yeah, that may be the one thing that bothered me about the movie visually. Yeah, that horse. That that really doesn't no. hold up. No, <laughs> I mean, they had some real close-ups of of that that prop, and they actually used real horses underneath there, um, for that that weird horse-like animal but i think that face was was puppetry and yeah it didn't work the weird tongue licking in now <laughs> creepy some music what do you think about the music on this this was a this was a f- brand new composer i think he had done a few other things um, like a 17-minute film before this and a, and a few other small projects but they basically found him in a record store and said, we want you to compose the music for our multi-million dollar motion picture. So let me give you my take on movie music. If it's great, if it's epic, I notice it. Right? And then mm-hmm. I'll say, it's epic. If I, if it's terrible, if it's absolutely horrendous and doesn't match what I'm seeing, I notice it. Mm-hmm. If it's just middle of the road and I don't care, I don't notice it. And guess which one this was? Middle of the road. Middle of the road, didn't notice it. So it didn't detract from the movie, but it certainly didn't add to the movie. And I think that if it had been a little bit better, this movie may have been or may still be looked upon as a really good movie. And that might be part of the reason why it isn't. Yeah. Curiously enough, I actually liked the music in this movie a little bit more than I have in in past movies. Uh, The theme song actually got stuck in my head a little bit. Um after watching this movie, I, I found myself, you know, kind of humming it, humming it to myself in my head. So the mo- mo- the actual main theme of the song was a little catchy. So I think they did a good job there. But yeah, I agree. The rest of the composition was just kind of there in the background. It didn't detract, but it didn't really enhance either. So he did go on to work with Roland Emmerich later on in, in Independence Day and I think on a few other projects. So he did a decent enough job that he didn't screw up the movie, so he got some extra gigs. So good for him. Yeah, nah, man. Make 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 that money. <laughs> um, what else you got? Any other thoughts on the movie? I feel like Kurt uh uh Kurt Russell's character was probably the most underutilized character of the whole movie. Oh yeah. So you've got so you've got this guy, his kid died from an accidental shooting, which number one, if you're in the military, you know how to uh, properly store your firearm so that your young child isn't going to accidentally shoot somebody or himself. So I had a problem with that, but putting that aside, 
you've lost your child to it. Like he's the most interesting character and they didn't flesh him out hardly at all. Like there's a, a point where one of the uh, rebels will call him from planet Egypt. Uh, this young boy decides to, to, you know, have this moment with Kurt Russell. So there's this connection, right? Where, okay, I've lost my son. You're probably about my son's age. Like there's going to be this connection, you know, here's this lighter, go ahead and keep the lighter. Oh, you, I see I'm smoking a cigarette here, have a cigarette. And he sees him mock, you know, like, like mimicking what he's doing. Right. Mm-hmm. So he breathes in deep into the cigarette <laughs> and then the, the kid does it. He starts hacking up along. Right. Yep. And then he's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. You're probably right. Like I should probably quit. So, but then when he touches the gun, like there's, there's this knee jerk reaction that Kurt Russell has. And and they kind of keep that line of 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 thinking, I suppose, going later on where he doesn't want these kids, which they are essentially involved in a in a coup against the alien dick. Right. He's just like he doesn't want that, but they don't flesh it out. They don't like there's this literally less than probably a minute and a half dialogue between between Kurt Russell's character and James Spader's character where Dr. Jackson's like, you know, look, dude, you need to get over it. We know you want to die, but the rest of us don't. And then that's it. And then Kurt Russell's like, oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Like what? And then by the end of the movie, he's he's all OK. So, yeah, he's fine because yeah, they one, don't, they don't only show one any- kid died. One, one kid died. You see his helmet like roll. That's like the big dramatic thing. The, and and Kurt Russell's apparently okay with that. That's an acceptable loss. Yeah, they don't they don't show his character progression at all, and we didn't get no. a backstory on what happened with his son. It may not have been one of his weapons that his son shot himself with, so it it may not be yeah, his fault point. at all. Um, but it, I mean, it's still going to be traumatic, you know, having having your child shoot shoot him, and and that does fit with his character, you know, having uh, your child having shot himself, and you want to protect other children that you kind of associate with with your son your dead son so one of the things that i hated was you know that kid was running down into this stupid makeshift fort that they constructed (laughs) out in the middle of the open when they were trying to fight off aircraft i mean if i was one of those pilots i'd be saying thanks for bunching up so i can kill you all at once and i'll have to more shots than stormtroopers right and i thought that was I thought that was a ham-fisted kind of, you know, sacrifice or plot device to to tug at some heartstrings. It didn't work yep. for me. No, for sure. Uh, I've made better forts out of couch cushions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really wish they would have fleshed out Kurt Russell's character more. I think uh, I think that was a more compelling character, and I think that's so. That's the same character that they brought into SG One, right? Is it? I don't. I've never watched SG SG One. Yeah, neither. Like alive, literally, but. not on episode. But I think that but, I think that's supposedly the same character that Michael <laughs> Dean Anderson is portraying in that show. If it so. is, then I would hope that the TV show does a better job of fleshing him out, which I'm sure it probably does. Right, right. Than this movie. But I was shocked at the runtime of this movie. It was over two hours. Yeah, yeah, which so, wasn't common in the '90s. It wasn't common, and it also wasn't enough time to flesh out some of these characters. And I started wondering why. Like, where does that time go? There's literally, 
45 minutes of that movie that could probably be cut out. There's a lot of action sequences in that movie and a lot of redundancy in, in the action yeah. sequences. I mean, we get that uh, we get that antechamber into the pyramid scene basically twice, and that's a good, you know, 12, 15 minute scene each time. So, yeah, that's the 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 shootouts in the in the pyramid itself, like that first one. That's like a five minute scene that could have been done in 30 seconds. Yeah. Like I just there was a lot of especially like the setup. There was a lot of setup to this movie uh, when they first arrived. Like, and it could have all boiled down to, yeah, I lied. I don't know how to get us back, but I'll <laughs> right. figure it out. <laughs> oh, they didn't, they didn't give me the key to, to how to restart the Stargate. Uh-oh. <laughs> I got to go learn some vowels from a hot chick. As soon as that happens, man, we're we'll good. Home. But, I mean, the only criteria to be on that team was you had to be full of shit. So <laughs> it, it still works French out. French Stewart. Absolutely, <laughs> should be. He should have been the, the general of that team. Yeah. Well, um, do you have any awards for this movie? I do. I hope you have uh, the four black, of them. I do. The Black Lung, the Head Lush, the Player Award, and the Purple Hippo Award. Well, you named them all off. That's 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 the ones you, you need. I, I listened to the show. Uh, so <laughs> my Black Lung Award goes to none other than Kurt Russell, and. Probably that kid that he got addicted to cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, that that um, that's actually breathe, got my my black lung award for the exact same reason. So breathe deep, young man. Breathe yeah, deep. He's the only one that was smoking on that on that movie, and he uh, he basically said, "Yeah, go ahead and uh, light up. You're never too young to start." That's right. Uh, he was a walking billboard for Philip Morris. Yep, absolutely. Who's got your uh, Who's got your head lush on this? Yeah, that's gonna go. Like, I don't think remember a scene where anybody was actually drinking, right? But I'm gonna give it to Kurt Russell again because, I, look, man, you lose a kid, like you're probably not sober, yeah, a whole lot anymore. So Kurt Russell again gets the uh, head lush award. That's a good, good award, good award. I like that. So my head lush is gonna go to Doctor Jackson because. <laughs> From the, from the time that he met those uh, colonists to the time that he went out and did his spa day, they were giving him all sorts of strange things to drink and eat, <laughs> but mostly to drink. They gave him various different you know, bowls of whatever was in there, and he drank it all. So there's no telling what was in there. It could have been hallucinogenic. It could have been alcoholic. Who knows? But he was drinking it all, so he's getting my head lush. Tastes like chicken. <laughs> it does. And who's got your player award? Oh, well, that's, that's got to be Dr. Jackson. Dr. Jackson. I mean, he's the only dude in the movie that got any. And he got hitched on top of it. So yeah. way to go. <laughs> so I, I went the other direction with that. Um, the other side of the coin. My player award is going to go to Charol. I think that's how you say that name. Um, sure. Which was who ended up being Dr. Jackson's wife, although he didn't realize it until like halfway through the movie. Oh, we're married now because we were in a tent together? Great. Right. Oh, awesome. wait, we're married? Oh, well, cool. Now I'm going to have sex with you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Not much of a player. Maybe I should Maybe I should uh, rethink my award. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's fine. He's uh, He can definitely be a, a player in disguise. He's, he's got that... He's got that uh, kind of shy 
player trope going about him. It's it's kind yeah. of a, a, a reluctant, reluctant the boyish. Date. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. But I mean, is there a gold digger award? Because I think she should get that. She's like, oh, you're a god? <laughs> We're married. I ain't saying she a gold digger. But. Right. Who's got your purple hippo? Oh, that's got to be the alien dick. Because it's just, he's not real. There is nothing about him that was uh, stupid. <laughs> stupid character. Stupid. Uh, he's a, essentially a poor man's Bond villain. He should not exist in reality. Yeah. Or the reality of this film. Yeah, he was a real lightweight villain. Um, yeah, I... I Totally get that. My purple, Who got yours? My purple hippo is going to go to failed guard number one. Uh, this is, is that French Stewart? No, no, no. This is this is one of the beefcakes that basically failed <laughs> in his duty, and the one that he uh, you know shocked with that little uh, handheld amulet that he got. Uh, so he's getting my purple hippo for the electric mind meld he got to experience with uh, with uh, Raz Al Ghul. So. Well, it would have been better if that is how he kept himself alive, is by sucking yeah. the life force. Yeah, or if that's how he kind of transferred his consciousness. So if uh, instead of a regeneration unit, he uh, he needed some of that ore to, you know, power the, the shocker amulet, and that's how he transferred <laughs> his consciousness. That would have been a better plot device, I think, instead of... Uh, this is Abs- how I power yeah. my ship. So the, you're yeah, you're basically a, a fuel station. And they call it the shocker. The shocker. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So any ending thoughts? I still think this movie's good. I still like this movie. I would watch it again. Uh, I made the wife watch it. She'd never seen it. Like I'm like, how have you not ever seen this movie? I, it holds up for me. Uh, you know, go watch it. Like it's an enjoyable turn your brain off two hours. Yeah, and I I like the movie too, even with all its all of its flaws. I think I still think it's a good movie. It's not a great movie, but it is a it is a good movie. It's got some nice effects. It's got some nice sets. Uh, the plot isn't totally terrible. Um, the characters aren't totally one dimensional. It's it's a good waste of a couple hours on an afternoon where you really just don't want to do anything else. It's great set design. I I would even say it's great direction. It's great acting with poor story and a poorly written dialogue. Like these actors did a lot with what they were given. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the actors did a lot with with the source material. I think Roland Emmerich did a lot with the source material. So as thin as the writing was, I think they pulled out a, a pretty good movie. So well, uh, you want to tell us where we can. Uh, Get your podcasts one more time. Yeah, uh, you can find all of my podcasts, uh, Bad Gamers, Anonymous, and Simply Stogies, over at EarGlueMedia.com. Uh, and you can also find uh, this podcast now over at <laughs> EarGlueMedia.com. So we're, we're, we're uh, a small but growing network. Um, and, and like I said earlier, we're very honored and excited to have Smoking and Drinking in Space uh, as part of the EarGlue Media family of podcasts. Well, we're excited, too. And thank you very much. I really appreciate you uh, guest hosting this week. Um, it was great, and thanks oh, a dude, lot. thanks for having me on, man. Like this has been a blast. 
you know, I, I'd love to be on again. This is Absolutely. a great show, and thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, that's going to be our show for this week. Our intro and outro music is Welcome Home by Cambo. Pod crawl music is Snack Mix by Machette. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Podchaser, and Blueberry. You can lead a, leave us feedback at smokinganddrinkinginspace.com, on Twitter at status underscore podcast, or email us at smokinganddrinkinginspace at outlook.com. I'm Jason. I'm Crowley. And we'll talk to you next week. <laughs> <laughs>